Welcome to the seventh episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. In this podcast, we will speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we'll be speaking with Sammy Ortiz. Welcome, Sammy. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's start by hearing from you about your work with the YES Network, also a little bit about uh, why you started it, and just uh, give us uh, a little bit about where you're from. Sure, sure. Uh, well, uh, I'm Sammy Ortiz. Uh, I was born in Fajardo, Puerto Rico, and uh, am an army brat. So uh, I don't know what to call home, but I've been in Florida now for the last 16 years. So Florida's home for the time being. Um, the reason that I started Yes uh, was because in January of 2016, I uh, went to a festival here in Dade City. Uh, uh, not to be confused with Dade County, Florida, Dade City. It's in North Tampa Bay. And uh, my wife and I were so engrossed in conversation that I missed a turn that I should have been on and uh, drove a mile east uh, from where my turn was. And uh, as soon as I took the right turn onto what is known as Lock Street, it's actually got two names, Lock Street and uh, Calle Los Milagros or Miracle Street. Uh, as soon as I took that right, uh, it felt like I stepped into a third world country and immediately felt, uh, you know, distressed. I did not enjoy the Kumquat Festival that day in January of, of 2016 uh, and uh, felt like I needed to do something. I just didn't know what to do. And so, um, you know, yes, uh, comes about really, uh, and I guess we can unpack that more as we talk, from uh, uh, taking a turn uh, that changed my outlook on uh, a lot of things. I'm a minister by, uh, by calling, and uh, it really changed the way that I do ministry now. But uh, uh, because of the work there, um, it, it took me a year to assess what the needs were, and young people were the most underserved uh, demographic uh, in the community that I'm in, uh, Lock Street or Tommy Town, as they refer to it. And uh, so um, it, uh, we really didn't know what to do. And I, when I say we, I didn't know really what to do. But uh, because young people were the most underserved, uh, just asking questions and doing uh, assessments in the community, it came about that uh, we had to do something for the young people who were going to uh, you know, the juvenile detention center in uh, high proportions for this small area that we're in. Tell me a little bit more about YES and the story of the students you serve. Sure. So YES stands for Young Entrepreneurial Students. And uh, the things that we do at YES is we offer an entrepreneurial component. We offer innovative thinking and we offer a cohort for life skills. Uh, uh, these are things that they don't teach in school anymore. Uh, I took home economic. I'm that old. Uh, and uh, you know, they used to teach us how to balance our checkbooks and how to write checks and, uh, you know, how to sew 
buttons on shirts and things like that. And so because we've gotten away from some of those things, young people today uh, lack specific skills. But uh, one of the things that uh, is happening here in, in Tommytown or Lock Street is that the poverty level is probably at 69%, uh, predominantly for um, Latinos and African Americans. And so I wanted to see something happen where young people could uh, develop their own ventures. We call them ventures because we want young people to start either a business, an organization, or a cause. Not everybody's called to start businesses. Uh, some people may want to start some type of an organization or they have a cause that they want to fulfill. And uh, we have used uh, co-starters curriculum, the generator curriculum for the entrepreneurial side. And what has happened from that is that we've graduated 32 students uh, through our, our generator cohort. And out of the 32 students, eight have started their own businesses. And so um, when we started, yes, our, we've, we've developed three taglines. The first tagline was eradicating poverty through education. Uh, the entrepreneurial aspect was the only thing that we were doing. Uh, we have, uh, as of last school year, we added innovative thinking and life skills. Uh, uh, last year's uh, tagline was, you don't have to be old to start something new. Again, because we reach out to a, a population that is anywhere between 11 years old all the way up to 25 years old. Uh, we wanted to make sure that they didn't feel like they had to wait until a certain age until they started a venture. And then this year, every year we try to bring something new just to, you know, breathe life into these things. So uh, we've coined our tagline for this year is BYOB. Uh, I, David, I don't know how much of a part of your, you were in college, but when you hear the term BYOB, what, what does it make you think? Uh, bring your own books. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. Bring your own beer. <laughs> bring your own beer. And so because we know that uh, maybe some kids wouldn't understand that, but, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, so my generation would definitely understand that. Obviously, you're younger than I am, so you understand it, but we're tricking it. And BYOB for us is be your own boss. And uh, so we want young people to realize that even though they're young, they can be their own boss. I love it. Be your own boss. Working with young people is hard, right? You're fighting with distractions like video games and uh, recreational sports and, uh, and the young minds are still not fully evolved. Why did you pick young people to be the focus of your work? You know, when I took the turn on uh, on Lock Street, I really didn't know who I was going to reach. All I knew is that I felt a burden to to do something because, it, you know, the, for whatever reason, the beautification funds that make it downtown aren't making it to Lock Street. So I felt like there is there is a disparity. And then in going, you know, and because I live in, in, in a town called Wesley Chapel, uh, it's, I would consider it a little bougie. It's, it's up and coming. And so I did not want to come into the community with what would be perceived as a savior complex. You know, a lot of times, you know, especially as ministers, we go into a community and we think that, you know, we've got the answers for it. Well, I would, I, I, I wanted to hear from the people because the people knew best what was needed. And, uh, the more that, the more that I canvassed the community, the more that people were saying our, our kids, you know, they're getting in trouble. There's not much to do here. And so, yes, you know, the space that we have that the county so graciously offers to us, it is the only teen center in all of Pasco County that is not 
the YMCA or Big Brothers and Big Sisters. So our actual space is a dual space. It is a co-working space for young people. And then it's a teen center where they come and they can play games. They can play video games. Matter of fact, I've, I've become a, a, a pretty, pretty proficient on the PS4. Uh, and so, you know, I want, I want young, I want young people to have a safe space to come to so that they're, they're not getting in trouble. So, you know, yes, it's trying to combat a lot of things. Uh, one, uh, I want to combat, uh, you know, what would be cyclical poverty. Uh, I want to combat the fact that uh, there's a, there's a school to prison pipeline in, in, communities that are predominantly black and brown. And then I, I want to combat the boredom that causes young people, you know, just to make some pretty dumb decisions. And so, you know, it's really a holistic approach. But at, while they're here, I want to make sure that we're utilizing their time wisely with those that want to and teach them things that will get them ahead in life. And uh, so, uh, you know, that's why I want to work with young people. I was a young man. And I had a lot of dreams, but unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of people fanning the flame of my dreams. And uh, I didn't have a lot of people opening doors for me, per se. And so I'm just a door opener. That's it. I, I just want to open doors for young people and tell them that, hey, you know, if you really put your mind to it, you can do about anything that you uh, set your mind to. You had mentioned earlier that there were eight businesses that were started and you had just now mentioned all of the other tangible benefits beyond just the businesses that these young students can start. Give me a little bit more of the impact this is making in the community beyond, uh, of course, what we can see, you know, by playing video games and staying out of trouble, but more importantly, what transformation is this driving across the community? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, amazing in that, you know, a young person can come up with an idea uh, that, you know, I, as a young person, just didn't even think about. You know, when I was 17, I wasn't thinking about starting businesses, although I was entrepreneurially minded. But uh, no, these young people, uh, what, is, what is happening is that it is affecting the family at large. Uh, I know that as you and I have spoken in the past, uh, there is a young man uh, that has come through our, our program whose name is Diego. And Diego, when he went through the, the cohort, uh, doodled pretty much the whole time. It actually uh, aggravated me to no end as I was, uh, you know, leading the cohort for, for, for the second uh, batch of students that went through. He doodled on his, uh, on his material. And uh, he graduated uh, his idea was to start a kayaking business in Dade City. And, you know, we don't have many bodies of water here. There's probably one lake and it's owned by a, a private university. So while I didn't tell Diego that's not a good idea, I said, hey, you know, uh, you know, I really don't know what kayaking has looked like. But, you know, you go ahead and do your research and, and you you follow what it is that you have in your heart that you want to do. But I said, you have this talent with art that is incredible. And so Diego graduated from the cohort uh, about four months after he graduated, he comes back to me and he says, you know what, I really think that, you know, what you told me about art is something that I'd like to pursue. And so uh, he uh, got uh, a spot downtown Dade City and uh, he sold some art pieces for the first time uh, and, and sold them in, in a very economical way uh, from, you know, all the hard work that he did. So I encouraged them to raise his prices. 
uh, and I said I set a price for him, and uh, you know the price that I set. I guess he thought he could get better, and he did. He asked for the price that he thought, and uh, got way more than what I told him he should ask for. Uh, but since that time, Diego has also started a lawn care business. And so he's 18, a senior in high school, and he's got an art business and a lawn care business. Now, the 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 neat thing that has happened with this is that now uh, Diego's mom wants to learn how to start her own business. And so the effect that this has in reaching a young people is that it goes into the community. Now, I will say this. When I started Yes, because this community is predominantly Latino, uh, I had to earn the right to be here. And at first they probably thought I was an informant uh, or ICE or border patrol. I mean, it took two years to, to crack, uh, you know, the door open, if anything. And, uh, but now I think that we have been accepted in the community. Uh, you know, a lot of people have come and gone here. They come in and they have an idea, but they, they don't stay. We've been here for three years and, you know, we're beginning to see the involvement in the community in, uh, you know, accepting us. I'm an outsider coming in, but, uh, you know, reaching a young person and then, it, you know, at the end of it all, uh, seeing entrance into the entire family is huge because now we're just not affecting the young people. We're actually affecting, uh, you know, the, the whole parental unit. Wow. Listening to this is giving me goosebumps. It's incredible the impact you're having on the community. A lot of our listeners are practitioners of uh, ecosystem building. And for them, what would you say were some early missteps that you had that if you look back, you would uh, try to do differently? Uh, I think we all learn from mistakes. That's the entrepreneurial spirit. So it's not about not making mistakes, but what are some early missteps that our ecosystem builders can avoid when they go to work with uh, underrepresented communities and the work that's happening in the front line. One of the words uh, you had used was the, was trust. And we see that used a lot uh, because immigrant communities traditionally uh, want that trust before the help. Can you give us uh, a little bit more uh, insight into what would you do di differently to kind of accelerate that journey of trust? Uh, you know, trust is built with time. Um, and so I think that when you go into a community that's, I would, you know, before I used to use terms like underprivileged, we've changed our verbiage. Now we, we call them underestimated because there's so much talent in, in communities that can seem to be disparaged. Uh, you know, one of the things that I wish I would have done was probably uh, take a little bit longer. Like I said, it, it took almost two years to, to really earn uh, the right to be heard. Um, and so I, I wish I would have taken a little bit longer just in the relationship building aspect. Uh, I know that uh, for me, uh, as a church planter, you know, a lot of times we have this field of dreams uh, concept that, that if you build it, they will come. And, uh, it, but it, it takes time. It takes time to, uh, to earn the right to be heard in people's lives. Um, uh, slow has been probably the, 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 the most um, descriptive word for what we've done here. Here we are in year three. I mean, we turned three as of June 10th of this year, and uh, it has taken some time. And so for uh, somebody that wants to go into a community, 
uh, that again, using my term, an underestimated community, uh, just take the time to really get to know the people, find the people that are the, what I would call the, the, the people of peace in the community, the people that are connected, that can introduce you to other people and, uh, and, and build with them a lot. And then, you know, for a lack of a better term, uh, leverage, leverage their relationships with people. Um, I'm noticing that it's easier to, to get into the community uh, with the equity of another person that's been in the community for longer than I have. And, uh, and you know, letting them be the liaison between what it is that I want to do and, uh, and, and what it is they see better than I do as far as what the community needs. So I, I think if anything else, I wish that I had been more patient, more patient. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we come in because I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of those people that, uh, you know, wants to see something happen for the better. Uh, I, I can tend to be a little bit impatient. And uh, so I, I think that would be what I would say uh, to somebody going in. Just, just be patient and let the process, uh, you know, take its course. It doesn't have to be a fast process. For us here, we have a 10 to 15 year, uh, you know, timeline. You know, I, I will celebrate small wins, but I'm looking forward to when these young people that are, you know, if they're 11, you know, they'll be in their 20s, you know, as if they're in their 25s, obviously, they'll, they'll be in their 40s and they'll be the leaders in the community. And my hope is that as we teach them the things that we teach them and just by being around them, just by being present, we can, you know, instill in them some things that probably come easier in, in other communities. What you've said makes a lot of sense. Other practitioners we've spoken with have said that it takes years, if not decades, to do this very complex work. Talk to me a little bit about another topic that's really uh, close to your heart. You've said that you're a minister. What role has religion played in some of the decisions you've made and how does it influence your work? Yeah, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, one of the, there's so many different verses that I could pull up right now, David, I want to make sure I don't get preachy on here, but uh, you know, the, the yes can, can mean so many different things. Uh, there is a Bible verse that says that all the promises of God are all there. They're all yes. And amen in Christ Jesus. So uh, loving your neighbor as you love yourself, uh, you know, doing this has really changed my view on how I do ministry. You know, as I said before, as a church planter, a lot of times we build these colossal buildings. Nobody uses them during the week. They stay vacant, maybe are used two or, you know, two or three times a week, depending on, you know, what the style is in that specific congregation. But for me, this is now ministry. Me coming out here, I'm not bombastic. I'm not preaching to these young people, especially the ones that are below the age of 18. I have to be really careful not to proselytize. And so I, I wait, you know, uh, so a lot of times, you know, the young people will ask because we don't charge uh, the young people for what we do here. I mean, it is completely free to them. And, uh, I, you know, if they'll, they'll ask, Mr. Sammy, why do you do this? And, uh, you know, one of the responses that I give is, you know, God's love compels me to love you. And this is the way that I'm showing you God's love to you. And, uh, and so if they ask further questions from that, then we continue answering questions. But we're not here trying to, 
I'm not trying to convert anybody. Now, I, I, I would be I, I would be deceptive in saying that I I don't want to introduce people to Jesus. I do, but I want to do it in a way that you know people don't feel coerced or coaxed, or I don't want it to feel like bait and switch. So if they ask questions, we answer. If they don't ask questions, then we just don't say anything. Now, anybody 18 and above, we can have whatever conversation. That's an adult. But I don't want to cause, uh, you know, uh, drama in a family uh, by them going home and saying, hey, you know what? Mr. Sammy said this to us. So I, I leave I leave things compartmentalized when the kids are here. I'm, you know, I'm listening. Uh, you know, they're telling me their life. They're telling me what's going on in their families. I'm listening. And similar to, uh, you know, uh, a priest, a pri- you know, you go, you go into a confessional booth and whatever you tell the priest or like when you t- talk to a lawyer, all that's confidential. What these young people tell me is confidential, unless they're telling me something that is going to be a detriment to them. They're either talking about hurting themselves or hurting somebody else. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I try to keep it uh, a, a very safe place and not bombard them with, you know, uh, talk that may be uncomfortable for some of them. And uh, but what I see happening, though, is that because they do find out eventually that I'm a minister, I see young people coming and saying, hey, Mr. Sammy, uh, will you pray for me or, you know, will you give me advice on this? I've even had parents come and say, will you counsel me and my my child because we're having some problems, you know, in our family. And, you know, so it it is, if anything else, extended my ministry reach. Uh, as opposed to my just sitting in a building, you know, or sitting in my office, you know, five or six days a week preparing sermons. Uh, I, I don't, I, I've, I've been in ministry so long that I don't, I don't do much of that anymore. I'd rather be out with the people serving them in the way that I am. It's incredible, Sammy, the work you're doing. And uh, every time I speak with you, I'm so amazed uh, at how complex your work is and how you pull it off because uh, listening to you speak, you know, you're wearing so many different hats, right? You're a family counselor, you are helping young people by just giving them a listening ear, counseling them when needed. And it is just so complex work. And on top of that, you have to run a center. So let's talk a little bit about how do you make this financially possible? And uh, what have you done to kind of stand this up? Wow, that's a that's that's almost a joke. You know, I'm a preacher and my wife is a teacher. So my my line is we're broke as a joke. Uh, my wife and I have underwritten this. To be honest with you, we have gotten uh, some just a few grants from Starbucks, small grants that have enabled us to you know purchase computers and things like that. But for the most part, uh, my wife and I have, have we've footed this thing, uh, you know, financially. And uh, because for us it is a mission, uh, you know, I'm not in this for what I can get out of it. Um, so uh, you know. There are uh, times that I wish we had, uh, you know, funding coming in or grants or things like that. Uh, but up until now, it hasn't been um, something that uh, has like, not that it's not a priority, but it's just not been anything that has hindered us in doing what we're doing. Uh, the county has been gracious enough to allow us to have, uh, allow me, I keep on saying us, but allow me to have an office and a space in a county building. And um, so, uh, you know, it has really helped us in the fact of creating the center that the young people uh, 
come to. Starbucks has been generous through uh, their neighborhood grants to give us, I think that we've received now three grants from Starbucks that have enabled us to, uh, you know, purchase computers, purchase equipment that we need for the young people, um, you know, and uh, just recently because of uh, COVID-19, uh, I had to build an actual uh, audio and video recording studio out of my office because uh, doing the Zoom calls uh, towards the end of last school year, it was horrible. I was just a talking head. So I wanted to add a little bit more pizzazz to what we do uh, when we uh, go virtual. So thanks to Starbucks, they've allowed us to do that. And uh, But uh, for the most part, it, is, it has been a labor of love. And, uh, you know, I don't regret it. I don't regret the money that we've spent only because when I see these young people come in and uh, seeing, seeing the, the, the entire change that takes place, you know, we've had young people that, you know, freak out from doing, you know, public speaking, but when they do their pitch and, you know, their parent coming up to us after my wife and I, after the fact and saying, I just can't believe what I just saw my son or daughter do or, when they, you know, again, the, the ideas that their parents hear uh, during the celebration pitch night, uh, you know, the, the parents are blown away. And it just uh, it shows them that what we're doing here is uh, something that's not just valuable for the community, but for their individual child. Looking at the fundraising aspect of your work, what were some things early on that you did to look at, you know, funding options? And I know that you had mentioned Starbucks. What was Starbucks's reaction to your work? And also, if people want to help, you know, where can they go to help you with your mission? You know, I, I was surprised with Starbucks uh, because, you know, we don't make any qualms that we are faith-based, again, but we're just not bombastic with it. And I, I, would, I, 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 I think we make assumptions. I, I assume that Starbucks would be against it, and uh, they weren't. Uh, on the contrary, they, you know, they've been very generous with us. Um, I have reached out to people as far as making donations. We've had, we have had people make donations uh, on our website, youngentrepreneurialstudents.org. I know that's a, it's like saying super fragile, super califragilisticexpialidocious. It's so long. Unfortunately, yes, uh, by itself wasn't available. But uh, if you go to our website at youngentrepreneurialstudents.org, there is a donate button that people can give to and uh, or give uh, on and uh, you know I, I would love to see yes expanded to other communities so uh, you know fundraising is huge because you know obviously uh, here in Dade City on Lock Street it, this is not the only underestimated community so I would love to see this go uh, to as many communities as possible for anybody hearing that would love to donate I encourage you to do so and uh again, at, uh, at youngentrepreneurialstudents.org. Let's uh, wrap up with a couple of questions. One, about expanding this uh, nationally. Uh, I know you've had interest from other communities. Uh, is this a program that can uh, fit into other communities? And what would you say a typical community looks like where this program could be successful if, you know, if they just followed your model and kind of worked with you? Absolutely, yeah. There has been a lot of interest in, in what we do. I, I don't hear about a lot of a lot of cities or communities uh, thinking about uh, entrepreneurship uh, with young people, 
And so um, there's been a lot of curiosity on that. It would fit anywhere. I think that in every town in America, there is there, there are a set of race uh, of uh, train tracks. And sometimes it's the people that live on the opposite side of the tracks. And uh, so it, it would fit anywhere. Every community has, uh, you know, disparity. And so, um, you know, for us here, while we do not discriminate, we don't because we have every race uh, out there that participates in our program. We really focus on, uh, you know, uh, African-American and Latino communities, uh, not not to exclude anybody, but uh, unfortunately, uh, those communities sometimes see um, less than other communities, but it can go anywhere, uh, you know, and there are young people anywhere. And even if it's not from a sense of uh, a lack uh, where there is, you know, socio socioeconomic depression in those communities, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, suicide rates among, amongst young people are high. Uh, you know, depression amongst young people is high. Uh, incarcerations amongst young people is high. And so, you know, we want to tackle so many different things, uh, not just poverty. Uh, we want to make sure that we can we can reach a young person holistically. I will say this that I didn't say earlier. Our space is set up in a way that there is the intellectual space and then there's the heart space. And so on times where we're doing our cohorts that young people, they're just not, they're just not into it. Uh, we know that, you know, we, we can't get into their head. You know, they're, they're, they've got so much going on in their lives that we need to talk to their hearts. So we go from the, from the intellectual space to we have, and you've been to our space, David, we go to the couch section where the young people could just share what's going on in their hearts and they get to talk to each other and share with each other. And so it becomes a community where they actually show care for one another. And so I think that in every community, not just in the United States, but even around the world, young people, they want to be heard, they want to be valued, and they want to know that somebody cares. So we're going to wrap up with uh, one last question, but uh, absolutely, I've been to your space. It was so rewarding to spend a couple hours with your students. And uh, I think I spoke about how to start a business, but uh, it wasn't even what I was speaking to. It was the fact that there was these young people in the room engaged uh, who wanted to start something, who were there and very respectful. Uh, for me, it was such a rewarding experience. And if uh, you're listening from the Tampa Bay area, I would love for you to connect uh, with Sammy to give back and experience what it is like to uh, be in a room full of young creators who are uh, there listening and creating uh, with you. So uh, I love what you're doing in that space. Give me a soundbite first on uh, what should entrepreneurship practitioners that are listening to this podcast take away from this, if there was just one thing you would tell them, and then also tell us about how we can follow your journey, how we can be part of the movement, and how we can learn more. Don't underestimate a young person. Again, our, our tagline number two, you don't have to be old to start something new. Uh, young people are full of ideas. You know, I, I mentioned only one uh, student of the eight that started a business. Uh, they just, uh, they need to be given the tools. Same, same, as, same as an adult. An adult needs tools, and they need to uh, sometimes learn things that they don't know. And uh, so just as we don't underestimate adults, don't underestimate young people. 
uh, how you can follow us. Our, our handle on all social media is at yes cohort. Uh, and that's Y E S C O H O R T at yes cohort. And, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I think we even have a Snapchat, uh, you know, in my, in my elder years, I'm, I'm learning how to use these TikToks and Snapchats, which kind of blows my mind, but, uh, because we're working with young people, you need to use these platforms. Uh, but yeah, at Yes Cohort. And then, um, you know, uh, I, I would encourage uh, even communities that aren't thinking about working with young people uh, to, uh, to include them, uh, include them. Uh, one of the things that I have enjoyed uh, seeing, uh, just as you said, is uh, to get young people in a room and to think that they wouldn't be interested uh, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, you know, they, they won't they won't go for this and uh, seeing the interest in the room because uh, we have finally gotten to a place where uh, they actually want to do things more than just becoming a YouTube star. They actually want to start things. And uh, it, it is incredible the ideas that they come up with. Well, Sammy, thank you so much for coming on our program today. It was a pleasure talking to you and we look forward to uh, continuing this conversation at another time. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Ponrash. Special thanks to Sammy Ortiz for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Dial Fritcher. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.